You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. Every two years, there are joint military exercises held between US and Australian troops at Shoalwater Bay near Rockhampton. Environmentalist and peace activist Robin Torbenfeld from Friends of the Earth is part of a group that protests these war games. We talked to her about the political and environmental consequences of these games. Later on in the show, we'll get more detail from Kim Stewart, also from Friends of the Earth, about the environmental impact of the military here and overseas. Together, Kim and Robin authored a paper called US Bases in Australia, The Social and Environmental Risks. Hi, and welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Thanks for having me. My name is Robin Taubenfeld, and I'm a nuclear-free and peace campaigner with Friends of the Earth Brisbane and an active participant in the peace convergence responding to U.S. military exercises, talisman saver, every two years here in Queensland since 2005. And how did it go this year? This year was a very interesting and diverse set of actions and community responses to the military exercises. Uh, It coincided with Rockhampton, which is the major center that supplies the military exercise up at Chillwater Bay. Um, They held a river festival during the military exercise, so there was an influx of people into the city, which also gave us an opportunity to see more people and communicate with more people and do actions around more people and not just solely draw our attention to the military exercise, but to engage with the public. We gave out peace balloons at the military open day. We had flash mob peace games within the River Festival grounds. We had vigils outside the army barracks. We also had people trespassing onto the Shellwater Bay military training zone in an attempt to hinder or stop the military exercises, which we consider war rehearsals, certainly warfare practice. And we had a set of Quaker grannies offering the troops participating cups of tea and ultimately also being arrested for a trespass on the the war practice zone. We consider it a, a very positive and successful peace convergence. And certainly if we haven't stopped the war games and war by 2017. We encourage everyone to join us up in action in Shellwater Bay or around Australia during these some of the world's largest military operations, which are U.S. and Australian combined force warfare practice. So with the Quaker grannies, I understand that the reason behind offering tea was they thought that it would be a better way to resolve international conflicts over a cup of tea rather than with guns pointed at each other. Is that right? Well, certainly the U.S.-Australia war games or military exercise talisman saber is all about interoperability of joint forces. So these military exercises combine land, sea, and air troops of both armies, primarily uh, United States. We had 22,000 U.S. troops and 12,000 Australian troops practicing land, sea, and air warfare practice. And the Quaker grannies went out 
with the notion that if we're really looking to solve global conflicts and address the situations at hand regionally or internationally, the best way is dialogue, not more war preparation. So with a humble offering of lamingtons and cups of tea, they attempted and actually successfully engaged military personnel in dialogue on the grounds of the military zone and encouraged these military personnel to take the message of dialogue rather than warfare as a means of addressing global situations back to their people. And uh, actually we found many of the people who did trespass into the military zone and people who were just in the community were able to engage in quite deep and meaningful conversations with military personnel, both Australian and U.S. So this is something that we see as a slow process, but certainly a very important uh, engagement activity to talk about peace, to live peace, and to promote peace and offer alternatives to the continuation of a culture of violence which demands violence as a response to conflict. When conflict is going to happen, we need to look at different ways of addressing it. So it seems to me that the willful, pointless destruction by the military is actually the very opposite of the work that you do as an environmentalist. How do you communicate with a group that has such a different mindset? Well, certainly the individual troops and the participants in the military exercises themselves are possibly very concerned about the environment themselves as individuals. So what we see is a system that is disregarding of environmental sustainability while actually marketing itself as quite good environmental managers and stewards. So, for example, for the Talisman Sabre military exercise, there is a large PR exercise surrounding a public environment report produced by a company for the military highlighting their attempts to mitigate environmental impacts. But we have to be real about what's going on here. And what's going on here is broad-scale military training, in the case of Shoalwater Bay, in Ramsar-listed wetlands, in waters that are part of the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park, and also on areas of the Great Barrier Reef which are excised, such as Townsend Island, particularly for bombing practice, for example. Biologically or ecologically, there's no separation from one island or one bit of water to the other bits of water that are part of the Great Barrier Reef Marine. This is one ecosystem. And as a planet, we can look at ourselves as one ecosystem as well. And when we're talking about the social side of this environmental impact, we have to recognize that if we have facing crises such as the climate crisis, which is a global crisis, we really need to consider peace as a precursor to global solutions for the climate, for example. And so whether Australia or even the Australian Army is attempting to lower its carbon footprint in these war games or as a country or as a society, while we're pointing weapons at our neighbor, and in fact with these military exercises, while we are showing nuclear-powered, nuclear weapons-capable might in our region to our neighbors, we are really not addressing global crises such as the climate or resource crisis or other social issues such as food distribution crises 
that are really requiring global community responses. And so even as a basic environmental message, we have to say peace has got to be the precursor to sustainability. And that's where we come back to the message of dialogue. We can't be showing force to our neighbors and saying we care about our future together. And on a local aspect, of course, the military activity that we see in the Shellwater Bay training area, as well as other parts of Australia used for military purposes in support of these war games and in other activity, are certainly negatively environmentally impacting. They're practicing live firing, they're practicing scuttling of ships, they're using sonar, and of course they're practicing onshore landings. They bring in other uh, flora and fauna potentially, so they have the impact, a potential impact on native habitats and certainly potential impact on native ecosystems on land and at sea. And they're using weapons, and all weapons contain some chemicals. So they're certainly not environmentally neutral. And certainly, despite the public relations exercise, we have to consider that even if they can minimize their impact of their warfare practice, for those ecosystems, the better option is no military activity at all. And so when we hear about Shoalwater Bay previously having been used as pastoral land and people discussing that the military are in fact better stewards of that land than the pastoralists, our response is it's not pastoralism, it's not military use, it is actual returning of that land to the Darumbal people, the traditional owners of that land, for protection and for future use for humanity and for something positive for the future, not ongoing destructive practices that are not only socially and environmentally destructive locally, but are politically and environmentally and socially damaging to Australia and the world. And what we see here in these military activities is a very strong political message because it is actually nuclear-powered and nuclear weapons capable. And so we have nuclear-powered vessels traversing precious environments such as the Arafura Sea, the Great Barrier Reef or the Timor Sea, coral reef regions. And we also have a huge impact of the noise of aircraft carriers and the jets they fly. They're using sonar, which is known to be of impact on sea creatures such as whales and dolphins and turtles. And they're practicing these activities in important seagrass beds, for example, in Shoalwater Bay, and migratory regions for precious um, humpback whales and endangered turtles. So we know that there's significant potential environmental risk, and we know that any mitigation of that risk is certainly welcomed, but the best and only real mitigation is to not conduct that activity at all. It's not necessary. It's not about the defense of Australia. Practicing onshore landings, practicing with nuclear weapons-capable military equipment is not about Australian defense. It is about Australian offensive behavior and Australia acting as a launching pad for U.S. military aggression and, and certainly China is very aware of this saber-rattling in the region 
and we have to say it's not necessary and it's got to stop. This is Corey Green, and you're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. That was Robin Torbenfeld from Friends of the Earth talking about the environmental and political consequences of the Talisman Sabre War Games held near Rockhampton every two years. Kim Stewart, also from Friends of the Earth, gives us more details on the environmental consequences. Can you please introduce yourself? My name is Kim Stewart and I write environmental reports for the Peace Convergence as a member of Friends of the Earth Australia. And I have here a report you co-wrote called U.S. Bases in Australia, the Social and Environmental Risks. Mm-hmm. Can we go through just some of the things? Uh, what is the environmental impact of live firing exercises? Well, live firing exercises occur in a lot of quite sensitive environmental areas all over Australia. And probably the one of most particular concern is Shoalwater Bay on the coast of Queensland, up near Yapoon and Rockhampton. Um, live firing exercises use real munitions and real munitions uh, contain toxic chemicals and are made out of toxic chemicals. Even though they sometimes call practice munitions green munitions, they also are um, dangerous to the environment because when, when they do live firing exercises and in Australia, in Shoalwater Bay in particular, they do ship to shore bombing, they lose the bombs. In a study I read, um, only a small percentage of the bombs actually hit the targets, and so a lot of the bombs become unexploded ordinances in uh, these quite inaccessible and mountainous areas with mangroves and swamps and stuff that uh, may never be found. And Shotwater Bay in particular has been used since the 50s, so there can be a lot of unexploded ordnance rusting away and leaking their contents into the environment for many, many years. And also, if a bomb is to be successful, it's sort of in its very nature not environmentally friendly. <laughs> Absolutely. This is probably not not a, much of a worse damage you can do to a piece of land than to blow the living crap out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it, in my report, you've probably seen some of the photos of Townsend Island, where a lot of live firing goes on at Shawwater Bay. It's just a disaster area pockmarked with holes and um, just basically destroyed. Nothing can live on it anymore. Wow, that's really grim. All right. (laughs) So another thing that the military uses is sonar. Um, What sort of environmental impacts does that have? Yes, uh, the military use sonar to locate submarines. Submarines use it and ships use it to locate submarines under the water. It emits sound waves and um, there's a lot of animals that that do the same thing, like whales and other cetaceans, dolphins and porpoises, use sonar to find each other. So, of course, they're going to be hearing that racket down there. And sonar is a lot louder than the sort of noises that whales make. It's, it's known to be associated with the beaching of whales and, and dolphins, and it can um, hemorrhage vessels in their brains, which is a pretty horrible outcome. And they have found in autopsies of beached whales that this, that this has actually been the case, that sometimes they do have hemorrhages in their brains. Um, sonar also affects the breeding cycles of fish and, um, and tortoises and other marine animals. Um, in the case of fish, depending on the frequency, it can rupture their swim bladders and kill them. So uh, sound underwater and above the water is pretty dangerous. And what about regular noise, just very loud noises that the military makes? The people who live near military training areas are being buzzed by helicopters all the time. And in Rockhampton, where they, uh, they take off during military exercises in Queensland, they, uh, there's a, they've, they've measured uh, the sounds in that area at about 97 decibels, two kilometres away from the airport. 
and 97 decibels is above the level at which ear damage occurs. So these people, every time there's war games going on in, in Rockhampton, and in the case of the Shawwater Bay training area, that's a couple of, probably most years, most weeks of the year, because um, lots of different militaries from around the world use it, not just Australia. They're exposed to noise all the time. It must be terrible to live right near one. Can you please talk about perchlorate? Perchlorate is a very common chemical used um, in explosives. It's a rocket fuel. And uh, it's become a real problem in the US where it's contaminated 42 states. It's been found in the groundwater of 42 states. And in these states, um, there's rocket test sites where they do live firing. There's also military bases and production plants where they make the military um, ammunition. And uh, the chlorate's been linked to thyroid problems, birth defects, and um, a recent study found perchlorate is even contaminating the US food supply, that even at safe levels, what they call safe, it's, it's uh, inadequate, that people are still being poisoned by it. It's a problem in Australia in particular where um, in the live firing area in, in Shoalwater Bay in particular because that live firing area in the dismal sector is in the water catchment for the town of Yapoon. So the people of Yapoon have rightly been concerned for quite a while about this and the military... Whether they've tested that water or not, we don't know because they're not releasing that information to the public. I understand that they actually make quite a few weapons in Australia. Is that another issue? Uh, well, it is. So the Australian Defence Force and the places where they make the weapons that Australia uses, um, they have a string of polluted sites. That I think there's like a thousand odd polluted sites in Australia that are off-limits and some of them are still leaking chemicals from the First and Second World Wars, especially the ones in Victoria that have been there for a long time. There's one in Malawa, which is near Wangaratta in Victoria, where the, um, the burial of mustard gas and nerve gas has been leaking into the environment there for 40 years. And only now, after 40 years of leaking, has it actually gotten into the water. So that's how long it's taken for it to, to become a contaminant. So you can see how, how unexploded ordnance that might be rusting away at Shoalwater Bay from the 50s are only now contaminating the water. And unless the water's been tested, there's, the people of Yapoon, for instance, aren't going to know whether they're being affected by it. And really it's our responsibility to think about future generations. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, when it comes to the military, they seem to think that in the defence of the nation, anything goes. And um, they, the military in Australia and in the US have have ways of getting around environmental protection laws, which is, is really worrying. So can we talk about that? What legal protection does the environment have from the military in Australia? Well, the, the military, if you ask them, will say that the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act binds them like it binds all the rest of us. But the fact is that um, the rules are a bent for these, for these kind of war games. And in the case of the Talisman Slavery Games, which happen every second year in Queensland and the Northern Territory, the, um, they're not required, like every other activity happening in Australia, to, to submit a, an environmental impact statement. Instead, they produce this thing called the Public Environment Report. It's really just a greenwashing exercise, saying, look how great we are, we know about these things. There's no bindingness to that document at all. It doesn't, doesn't guarantee that they're going to protect or mitigate anything that they do wrong and it's quite likely that the only time that they do mitigate is if we catch them out like this year at the Tasman Sabre 
football games in Darwin, there was an oil spill on the beach, and they made a big scene of you know removing the sand and cleaning that up. And um, in 2013, the Talisman Sabre Games, uh, they accidentally dropped four bombs in the Great Barrier Reef. They didn't explode, and they, but they only recovered three of them. So one is an unexploded or rotting in the uh, environment out there at the moment. So the, the laws that are ostensibly you know, binding to the rest of us are not binding to the military. All right. Um, can we talk about what other contaminants are a common leftover of military training? Okay. <laughs> the more you think about it, the more horrifying it becomes. <laughs> there are so many kinds of um, chemicals that the military use and they're, they're not really um, regulated because in any country that uses them, they tend to, to uh, put natural, national security above environmental protection. Although, you know, I, I can't understand why, because if you screwed up your environment, what are you protecting, really? So some of the things that uh, have contaminated... Well, well, I could give you a good case in Vieques, which is an island near Puerto Rico in um, in Central America, where near the Caribbean, sorry, where um, for 60 years there was a US base there where they did a lot, lot of live firing, and it's closed now only because of the direct action of the people of that town, putting themselves physically into the live firing area until the military just couldn't do it anymore. But it's still contaminated, like, years later. There's depleted uranium, there's perchlorate, there's RDX and TNT and many heavy metals on that site that are still affecting food production and poisoning people and the environment. And So it's pretty scary for those people because they're still dealing with it. People are still getting sick and still getting leukaemia and possibly cancers from the depleted uranium. And uh, they'll probably never get recompense from the from the Department of Defence for that. And are you concerned that this is happening in Australia? Well, we are seeing more and more use of Australian uh, territories by the US military. We've got 2,000 mil- uh, Marines stationed more or less permanently in Darwin now. And, uh, you know, there's, there's always the uh, politicians going on about how great our alliance is with the US and, yeah, you can come here. And, of course... When they come here, they bring nuclear weapons, they bring nuclear-powered ships, they bring all their chemicals, and they bring their own set of rules because as far as the US military are concerned, when they're operating on other soil, and in Australia anyway, they have an agreement that the military, the US military are bound by US laws. But the funny thing is that the US military have exempted themselves from pretty much every environmental law that they have. So um, you can't feel confident that, that they're going to do the right thing while they're here. And are there any other environmental impacts to do with the movement and training of troops here in Australia? Wherever the military, the US military are based in particular, there's a lot of things that, um, that say the, the US military have, have a policy, the Navy, of, of throwing their shipboard waste over, sea, over, the, over the side into the ocean. What they do is they stick it in a big bag, they put a letter on it saying where the US Navy were allowed to do this, and off it goes. <laughs> it's washed up on the beach in Queensland on quite a few occasions. Um, other things have washed up on the beach that they've dropped or lost or they, that didn't, didn't blow up, like um, phosphorus munitions, and they use phosphorus for markers as well, washing up on the beach in Yapoon and other, other areas where there's populations and people have come across them. And uh, just a dumping of stuff that they don't want. You know, the uh, Second World War chemicals like mustard gas, just chuck them in the ocean. No one will know they're there for a few generations or care about it until it is actually poisoning things and rotting away and, and corroding. Um, one, a couple of years ago, 
the military sent their the US military sent their flagship air, air, aircraft carrier, the Ronald Reagan, to Australia as maiden voyage. While it was here, it lost a very valuable four billion dollar plane in the ocean off, off Brisbane. And it's still there because it was too expensive for them to retrieve it. And who knows what was in it? They didn't tell us. They're not going to tell us. So, uh, yeah, a lot of the time we're not actually going to find out what they're doing because US military in particular have a policy of not saying whether they're carrying nuclear weapons, for instance. And um, we have the whole operational matters business that the Australian military also uses as a defence for not telling us what they're up to. Uh, the sad thing is that Shorewater Bay is such a beautiful place and all of the reports I've read by environmentalists and, and biologists about what exists in Shorewater Bay says that this place shouldn't be, shouldn't have cattle on it, it shouldn't be getting blown up, they shouldn't be driving tanks over it. It should be a national park because it's got, it's got one of those unusual environments where the ocean meets the sea, meets the rainforest and meets some of the more dry land species. So it's a really unique environment and it's like 300 kilometres of coastland that's, that's more or less pristine except for where it's been run over by tanks. But um, we're letting the military do who knows what to it, which is, is really sad for the you know the future generations of Queenslanders who might want to see these beautiful places one day. All right, thanks for appearing on the show. Okay, thank you. That was Kim Stewart from Friends of the Earth talking about the environmental consequences of military training exercises. Now we'll go back to Robin Torbenfeld, also from Friends of the Earth. What can people do to oppose the Australian and US military's environmental destruction? Well, certainly we would like the, the government to really acknowledge the environmental impact of US and Australian military activities, and we would like the community to acknowledge it and look at other options. So we certainly don't believe that the military is a viable option for protecting certain environments. We really want to see ecosystems that are used for military training return to their traditional owners and protected rather than used as training and research for military endeavors. And this would be done by letting our environment minister as well as our defense minister know that people are concerned about these activities and engaging in any public environmental response process that they have. However, we do feel that the public environmental process that is offered to us is very limiting and really done primarily as a PR exercise. And so we encourage people to contact their local members and their local politicians and let them know that actually military activities such as the Talisman Saber War Games are national issues and that we all have something at stake with these activities going on and we all would benefit by seeing them stopped. And we also encourage people to get involved in active opposition to military activity in their own region and certainly in regions where U.S. military activities take place. Every two years, we make the trek up to central Queensland and have a public face of visible public face to opposition of these military activities taking place in the Shellwater region. There's people in Darwin, the no U.S. bases. There's a no bases crew in Darwin taking activity action there. There's the Anti-Nuclear Alliance and WA taking action there. So in the northern states where we see these 
nuclearized military activity taking place. We see a great link between the peace and the anti-nuclear move, so, movement, so we encourage people to get involved in these movements and take a stand and to get informed and to help us build our knowledge about these issues. We really re rely on the community for some of the knowledge and local knowledge to tell us what's happening in these environments and certainly with the social impacts of military um, presence. We we need the community to report what's going on. We need eyewitnesses to document what's going on. And we need to collectively store this knowledge. And so we're certainly interested in people communicating the impacts that they see to us and allowing us to use that to further our information. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. I'm Corey Green. Today we have been talking about the environmental consequences of military training events, both in Australia and overseas. If you'd like to read the report that Kim and Robin wrote, you can go to Brisbane Friends of the Earth website. That's www.brisbane.foe.org.au. Alternatively, you can go to the Earth Matters page at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters, where we will provide the link and you can download the podcast of today's episode. Earth Matters would like to thank the good folk at the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria on the Cooler Nation. Our contact phone is 03 9419 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au. Thank you.